But today is uh, it's Shabbat. It's the 1st of December on the Gregorian calendar. And we are looking at, uh, in part 2 of, uh, of Matthew, uh, we're looking at lesson 2, which is chapter 12. Um, my Bible, unfortunately, has... A, I, have a, I have a New King James, and the heading, the English title by the translators that they added to it, says at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus breaks the Sabbath. Uh, well, that's better, at least, yes. Uh, let's, let's look at this. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 11 says, And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. Anybody that knows uh, that comes from both from Deuteronomy and also it is quoted by Paul who quotes Deuteronomy in, in, uh, in the book of Romans. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they may know, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Uh, this is from Isaiah 66. Um, if, if, by the way, if you ever read Isaiah yeah, sequentially, beginning to end, you, you, you know that starting in about chapter 40, the, are the consolation psalms, or consolation uh, prophecies, or a consolation for Jerusalem, that the, her redemption is yet future, but it will be complete. That God will do what he said he will do from the very beginning. And it ends in chapter 66 with this amazing prophecy about Gentiles coming to Jerusalem as it's repeated both in Micah and Isaiah chapter 2 as well. Gentiles coming to Jerusalem to worship the king. Zechariah chapter 14. uh, Same thing. Then, they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. As the children of Israel bring an offering to the clean vessels to the house of the Lord. And I will take some of them and it's speaking of the Gentiles that it speaks of uh, in the previous verses. For priests and Levites. Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Says the Lord, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I make shall remain before me. This is future. This is Revelation chapter 22 stuff. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another. Apparently we're maybe reading uh, Colossians chapter 2 incorrectly when it appears to diminish the value of the new moon from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath one Sabbath to another excuse me and from one Sabbath to another all flesh shall come to worship before me Sabbath in the future and, and, and most, most traditional commentaries will say well yeah well sure it's just we're, we're, we moved it to Sunday temporarily It'll be back to Sabbath later. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not. I'm not joking. That's that's an absolutely serious. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what we did last week. Last week we saw how uh, John the Baptizer, Yochanan Hamadbil, needed an encouragement. Why? He was in prison. Where, yeah, he knew. He knew full well. He knew the messianic signs that he was seeing. But he wasn't being freed. When was the kingdom coming? Some people see this, this as, a, as absolutely impossible, that, that John could have had doubts. His doubts were not necessarily that Yeshua was Messiah. His doubts were, how do I play a role in this now? And, and he was encouraged how? He was the greatest, right? Among, among the children of men, he was the greatest. So this tragic story, as we see it, is actually a story of victory. 
rest assured, what God began, he will finish. And that's precisely what Yeshua meant to convey. What God has begun, he will finish. He was like Elijah, who is also a tragic figure. There we see him uh, thinking that no one but he was faithful. And yet God reminded him there had been there were seven thousand that had not yet bowed the knee. And Elijah, the greatest of of, uh, of those prophets, we see as a forerunner uh, to Messiah. And we saw and, and Yeshua pointed out that John, much like him, and we hopefully one day we'll see Eliyahu once again. This week uh, you studied uh, a theme uh, of rest, the Sabbath. Go to Matthew chapter twelve, verse one. Um, at that time Yeshua went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat when the Pharisees saw it they said to him look your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath but he said to them have you not read what David did when he was hungry he and those who were with him now he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat nor for those who were with him but only for the priests or have you not read in the law that the Sabbath on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless yet I say to you in this place there was one greater than the temple but if you had known what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath so stop right there uh, apparently a lot of people didn't read verse 7 guiltless in other words your comment is incorrect they did not break anything not lawful please show me where and actually the Talmud actually supports uh, our good friend uh, uh, Shmuley Boteach is actually writing a book Jesus was a Jew and he, and he actually quotes from the Talmud to support Yeshua here as he should because the Talmud supports this idea in fact the Talmud in, re- in, re- in reference to feeding animals talks about how much you can break up the grain how much you can break up the grain it assumes that you will why? Animals are, need mercy. They need to be fed. And look at you breaking it by hand. They weren't taking it. Ah. I think. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. And, and that's exactly right. The Talmud actually makes, uh, it doesn't address this specifically, picking the grains and breaking it off and whether that's permitted or not. But it, it, within that, it talks about how you would do it for animals. And, and certainly, uh, we see it also in healing healing on the Sabbath uh, we're going to talk about later that the Talmud actually supports yes why did you not know that mercy I desired mercy instead of sacrifice remember there's a debate within Judaism in the first century how much can we there's the house of Halil who, who very much in the vein not exactly the same but very much in the vein of Yeshua said take my yoke upon me it's easy Right? That was that was tended towards mercy, not applying the law incorrectly, not applying the law unevenly, the Torah unevenly, but rather in their traditions, how they did what was written. In their traditions, how they would do it was much more, I, sh- I shouldn't say lenient because that conveys the wrong attitude. It was much less harsh. Shammai, he's the one with the stick, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, he is. <laughs> Shammai is the one who's like, get out of here and knock it off. <laughs> um, so we, we see that there's a debate within Judaism. Which side is Yeshua falling down upon? Believe it or not, and here there's some Pharisees criticizing him. Believe it or not, in that debate, it's the Pharisees' side that he usually falls down on. He usually is agreement with the Pharisees, which is why he's so harsh with them, as we see in Matthew chapter 23, which we'll get to later on this year. Uh, Matthew 23 is so harsh with, with Pharisees. Why? Not because they're the enemy, but because they're in the same camp. Who do you who do you treat who do you treat most uh, uncivilized? Your family members. Why? Because they know that your words are, are are motivated by by love. There's no doubt in your love. There's no doubt that you have a relationship. So you motivate them. Sometimes uh, uh, we're much less polite to our family. Maybe we shouldn't be. I'm just. Uh, but it is very common, and and that's exactly what we see in this. So it's Pharisees saying, hey, you know, they're doing something unlawful. Well, you have to show me where. The commentators need to show me where it's unlawful. Please, give me the scripture. Don't tell me, well, they said it was unlawful. Well, of course they did. So it's very important that you understand. And here's the greatest problem with this whole debate. People read these words, and they don't know the culture or the scriptures they come from. They don't, they don't know the Torah. That's why we study it. It's exactly why all scripture is important to us. Because you can't take it out of context. Otherwise, you know, let's all just, you know, kill ourselves and go to heaven. Right? Well, let's just get there. What are we waiting for? See, it's, it's, uh, you, gotta t- you can't take things out of context. Let's move on. Um, can you explain why you use the example for David? Yes. It's great. Great. Uh, it's a great. Yeah. Well, actually, let me finish up with verse nine and finish up through. Uh, oh, I was only supposed to go through six. Hold on. Um, uh, I'm going to skip to that in First Samuel 21. So let's let's move to the Ezekiel points, our Exodus point here first. First of all, what is the Sabbath? What's its purpose? Go to Exodus chapter 31. Um, uh, I, I hear, and, and please don't don't misunderstand. I'm not. I, I don't want to be critical of anybody that does not recognize the Sabbath as as the seventh day or its importance. But one of the things that it's, 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 it's remarkable to me is the people who would denigrate the Shabbat, the Sabbath, and say that it's unnecessary for believers, for the people of God to recognize it as any, has, having any validity, usually tie it with the law, which they also say has no validity. But I would point out that the Sabbath precedes the law by quite a bit. Actually, it is the dawn of man's history. Thank you very much. Why? It's when we begin the Sabbath on Friday night, when the sun sets, we quote, we sing Exodus chapter 2. That's right. He created it and he rested upon it and he made it holy. Making it holy means he separated it and set it apart. It's the picture of being set apart. That's why Havdalah is so wonderful. It's the separation, the beginning and the end. We go from the days of... The days of rest, the day of rest to the days of work. And ex- excuse me, do you have a question? Oh, no. Okay. Exodus 31, though, gives us more ideas about the Sabbath. And actually, by the way, even the commandment, some of the commandments regarding the Sabbath predate the law, Sinai, as some say. Exodus 16 is where the Sabbath commandments are given, and it isn't until Exodus 20 and 21 that we actually get to the giving of the Torah at Sinai. So it predates it. Uh, couple weeks at least. <laughs> so that dispensation, for those who are dispensationalists, that dispensation had not yet been enacted, and yet the Sabbath is still important and precious. And the commandment 
in effect. But here's the reason. God gives reasons before he provides manna. And that's his basis for reminding them to Sabbath. But then in, in Exodus 31, he gives reasons. Exodus 31, verse 12 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bishamru, uh, uh, those who know the, 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 the song or the, the chant for this passage that we sing on, on Arev Shabbat, this is, this is Bishamru. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So, what is the Sabbath? It's a sign throughout your generations an eternal sign that I'm the Lord who sanctifies you what is the word sanctify now a lot of people three parts of salvation there's justification sanctification glorification those of you who have a great systematic theology I appreciate that but I don't think that you'll find that that's its reference here it's not a part of being made perfect sanctification is not being made perfect that's not what it means. It means being set, set apart. It is exactly what it means. It means being divided between this group and that group. Oh, it's, it's actually in, in, our, in our book of Matthew. Sheep and goats. I am the Lord who sets you apart. You're mine. <laughs> That's what it means. You're mine. Make you holy. Not sinless. Holy. That means you're mine. He made the Sabbath holy. That means to set it apart. Not to make it some... We, we use the word holy incorrectly in English, I think. Holy means it belongs to God. That's all it means. It means it belongs... And that pertaining to God. As, as opposed to that pertaining to man. You have a day of the week that pertains to God. How about a precious thing? One out of seven. Well, he, he owns them all. But one out of seven is his, identified as his. And this is what he's saying. And this is the way that you'll know that I am the one who sanctifies you. Look like there's one out of seven days of the week. That's my day in the same way. Listen, I separate you from among the peoples. You're precious to me. It is a sign of love. It's a sign of his adoration for us. It's a sign that that he has great plans for us to set us apart. It's a remarkable gift that we've been given to have the Shabbat. And here, that's what he's saying. Go to verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a... What's, what are the two words there? Perpetual. Perpetual or eternal covenant. A covenant? Is this the Sinai covenant? I'm sorry, people like to have things all labeled nice and neatly. It's, it's maybe good Presbyterian doctrine. Nice and neatly. Look okay, at this. Is the Adelma covenant. This is the, you know. Let me just tell you something. God makes a covenant, singular, with man to, to redeem him. Within that, he has covenants. Right? But it's all God. And it's always eternal. Every covenant he ever made is for redemption. And it's eternal. Unless he says differently. And I can't find one that he does. Even Sinai. He says, if you'll, if you'll obey, I will bless you. If you disobey, you will experience curses. Where did, he, where did he say, if you disobey, I will break my covenant with you? Never. Never. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. It's about refreshment. It's about rest. Why? 
Why does he want us to rest? Do I need a nap? Well, I do, but do I need a nap? Is that the point? Did he need a nap? Was he tired? No. Has nothing to do with being tired. Has nothing to do with sleeping. Although naps are good on Shabbat, I have to say. There's nothing better. But that's not what it's about, is it? What is it to rest? What is it to rest? Those of you, those of you who keep a traditional Shabbat, what is rest to you? What? Meditate. Meditating. Yeah, thinking about. Yes, it's beautiful. Yeah. You work, do nothing. We're lazy, right? Is that what somebody said? No work. We're lazy. The things that are different. Yes. You didn't have time to think about during a week. I wish you did, but sometimes we are distracted. Work distracts us. We don't have to worry about it. It's wonderful, isn't it? Think about this, though. Those of you who keep a tra- and those of you who don't, please don't misunderstand. It's not to be condemning anyway. But those of you who keep a traditional Shabbat, what happens up until Friday at sunset? What do you do all week long? Run around. You prepare. Why? Oh yeah. Because when Friday comes around, the time for preparation is over. When the sun sets, those of you who've seen the Frisco kid, you know, he's always waiting, he's looking at the sun sets. <laughs> Good Jewish cowboy movie. <laughs> when the sun sets, it's over. You can't do any more preparation. That's like life. When you finally breathe your last, all that you could do in preparing is done. You can't ever add to it, you can't ever take anything away, it's done. It's the same way with the Sabbath. Every week we get to prepare, recognizing that if we don't get it done by Friday evening at sunset, it's not going to get done. Did you fill the car up with gas? I'm sorry, we can't go to services. Because we're out of gas. <laughs> uh, is, has the food been cooked? Do you know why it's so important then, when you, especially when you think about this, it's so important to have a, and it's why Judaism recognizes the mother as the, as the, as the continuation of Judaism, right? It's because, man, if she, doesn't, if she isn't participating, things are pretty much out of whack, right? <laughs> right? She gets the focus, yeah. She's the, she's, I mean, everybody's preparing, but she's like, she's the one that's usually the most frantically preparing. I saw a great, I saw a great video um, uh, on, on one of these uh, joke video sites, uh, and had it, had, uh, it was late, at the beginning, it came on, it says, uh, December, the earliest Shabbat. And, and it has the time, you know, 423, New York City, whatever else. And it shows this guy running through town, trying to get all the last-minute things because, you know, and he, and he actually bursts into the door at 423. <laughs> and everything's been done. <laughs> that's that preparation. And that's exactly what our writer in the book of Hebrews does. He talks about this in Hebrews 3 and 4. He's making the point. You have to prepare now. For the Sabbath rest of eternity. Because when the Sabbath, because when the time of preparation is over, there is no more preparation. What kind of lesson do we get when we, when we recognize the Sabbath every week of how it pertains to life? There's a time for us to prepare and there's a time for us to rest. And the Sabbath rest is when we rest with Messiah forever. Preparing now is important. When will it come? Do you make it come? No. Uh, Sabbath rolls around when the sun sets. But do you, make, do you make the end of your life come? No. You're waiting. Uh, when will it be? Now, this is a little bit different. When will it be? I don't know. So you better prepare like it's today. Right? 
it's a great lesson. It is a profound lesson. And we recognize that God is setting us apart. That's another thing. All week long, you're thinking. That's why any time after Wednesday, people say Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> well, it's not, it's, not, it's not Shabbat yet. Why are you saying that? Well, because uh, I've been starting from day one. And actually, the first day of the Sabbath is... So how do you say the days of the week in Hebrew? The first day of the Sabbath, the second day of the Sabbath, the third day of the Sabbath, the fourth day of the Sabbath. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the biblical days of the week are counted from the Shabbat. The fifth, the sixth day of the Sabbath is the day before the Sabbath. Yeah. So it's all based on, hurry up, let's get there. Because that's the best part of it all. Right? Uh, go to Isaiah 58. I first taught this lesson at a great Baptist church in Charlotte, North Carolina. What kind of, what kind of uh, reception do you think I got to a class of about anywhere from 50 to 150 every week? No, I got wonderful reception. Of course, I got kicked out shortly after, but up until that point... <laughs> Up until that point, the people who were doing the study, who were reading and studying the scripture, they weren't they didn't need to be convinced. The scripture said it, why not? They were completely and and uh, uh, on on board. Uh, verse uh, verse twelve of Isaiah fifty eight. Those from among you shall build the old waste places, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell uh, streets to dwell in. This is speaking of Messiah. If you turn your foot from the Sabbath, and he's speaking to Israel, if you will turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, a burden? Oh no, we can't do that. It's Saturday. No, that's not a delight. It's a delight. If you'll call the Sabbath a delight. Now, I told you this before, Judah, oftentimes driving past, yes, we do drive, driving past uh, shopping centers on the way home. He'll, uh, couple, no, a couple months ago, he was, <laughs> we were driving past and he goes, Go home! It's Shabbat! <laughs> and, and call the Sabbath a delight. A holy day of the Lord, honorable, and you shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. You shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yeah. It's not a burden. It's a delight. And that's, that's his point. It's a delight. Uh, go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 20. Uh, this is actually, we read this at the beginning. It is, it, it, he, it is a sign. He, he, he draws from, uh, he draws from uh, the commandment given in Exodus 31. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does them shall live by them. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Ezekiel 20, 11 through 12. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 20, 11. Sorry, that was verse 12, a sign that he, he is the one who sanctifies us. Now, uh, somebody asked a question about 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 1, uh, 21, 1 through 6. What is the story that Yeshua draws from? He draws from this picture where David, uh, David's men go in and eat the showbread. How, how, who's allowed to eat the showbread? Anybody read the book of Leviticus ever? Who's allowed to eat the showbread? Only the priests. Well, who's a priest? Yes. Wait a minute. 
Was David from the house of Levi? So what was David putting on the ephod all about? He does. He puts on the high priest's garments. When the Ark of the Covenant is moved to Jerusalem, David puts on the high priest's garments. What's up with that? Is that allowed? Now let me ask you this. Who are the anointed ones? The king and the priest. And in fact, in the first century and before, our wonderful people who recorded things for us uh, from, from uh, Qumran, the people who gave us the Dead Sea Scrolls, as they're called, actually recorded that Messiah is both, is both king and priest. There's a very recognized understanding. Messiah is both king and priest. And who's David? He's the, he's the forerunner. David, throughout throughout the book of Samuel the books of Samuel is seen as priest and king he does he does very priestly things and what does he what does he do when he goes to ask the priests there about his about his men they provide food they provide the food we have no food here showbread eat this boy we can't eat that why not yes they did they didn't take it they did not take what was theirs why did he get to do that well first of all they recognized that David was over them and they also recognized that here's David's men and they're in need of food so preservation of life is the, is the, is the mercy over sacrifice and that's what Yeshua quotes from in other words they were hungry and in fact they were you know Need, needed food as opposed to dying. Could they have gone one day without eating? I, I, you know, or days? I don't know. And that's not what it gets into. And Yeshua's point is, there's one greater than David here. Greater than David? Who's greater? The Father or the Son? They couldn't answer that. No, well, that's a great point, isn't it? And yet, why couldn't they answer that? Because what, did, what does our culture say? Actually, not our culture. What does their culture say? Father's greater than the Son. So why is it in the Psalms, that's exactly Yeshua's point later on, why is it in the Psalms that this Son of David is made to be greater than his Father? Of course, the answer is what? Because he precedes his Father. You know, this is one of those odd little things that, that prove not only his Messiahship, but in fact that he's not just a man. That he was there before the foundation of the world. Yes, absolutely. And he makes the point. I'm sorry if people don't get it. It's not enough for them. They want him to say, I am God. Otherwise, they're not going to believe it. He doesn't have to say it. He says it repeatedly in what he says. And what else does he say? He says, I am the son of David. I am Messiah. Does he come right out and say, I am Messiah. Find a place for me. Is he? He challenges the disciples repeatedly. And that's what he's doing in this chapter in Matthew 12 as well. He's telling people, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, don't tell anybody. Why? Matthew 12, 7. Why would he do that? Does he expect you to do that? Why would he not tell people? I thought he wanted everybody to be saved. Don't tell us, Mary. Don't go and tell them. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not, you would, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For even the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbaths. This is Remez. It is from Hosea 5.6. This is what he's quoting. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What does Hosea 5.6 talk about? 
Go back. Don't ever start with 6.1. I'm sorry. Don't start with chapter 6. Don't ever read these two chapters of Hosea separately. They have to be together. Because Hosea 5 talks about a people who are sick and don't know they're sick. And chapter 6 talks about a people who are sick that are healed. When they finally recognize they're sick. Yeah. And that's, and that's what he's doing. The challenge... Uh, uh, the challenge is some Pharisees, some of the Pharisees were sick and didn't know it. They were all wound around the axle on, I'm sorry, you can't take those grain and break them up in your hand and eat them. Well, are they in the marketplace buying grain? Why not? They're actually within, within walking distance of Jerusalem. They're actually honoring that tradition. So why not go buy some food? Well, they're hungry. No, they're not breaking the Sabbath. They're not breaking the Sabbath. They could have broke the Sabbath by going and buy food. They don't do that. What are they doing? They're still feeding themselves. And where, where are they? They're in the field with Messiah. <laughs> well, what a great place to be. Uh, uh, Kabbalat Shabbat, uh, the welcoming of Shabbat. We get a lot of the traditions, the traditions of welcoming the Shabbat from the, from the Kabbalistic masters in the 16th century, from Safed, where they would go into the fields... There in northern Israel, go into the fields and welcome the Sabbath as the queen coming. You know, I mean, this is this is that very picture. Who's who's here greater than Sabbath? Well, Messiah is here. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than Sabbath. He's greater than David. Where are they? They're with Messiah. They're not breaking the Sabbath. They're with him. So they're hungry. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to take the grain. It's not. It's not a breaking of the commandment. Uh, the Sabbath is the realm. Chapter is 12, verse 8 of, 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 uh, of, of Matthew. For the Son of Man, he's speaking of himself. And this word Son of Man, this phrase we're going to get into, Son of Man, is a common usage in the book of Matthew. makes a lot of it. A big point about it. Entering this season, beginning in December here, entering this season where much of the world is, is whether celebrating or not, recognizing, recognizing that Jesus was born. Right? We have an obligation, whether we celebrate in the same way or not, we have an obligation to recognize that it's an important, it is a significant, it is probably the most significant event that has ever taken place where God finally stepped into the world in a way that we could see and touch Him. It's profound. And here He is. Here He is now walking in a field with his disciples. This great one that is being you know, challenged by his very creation telling them your disciples are breaking the Sabbath. And what does he say? The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It's his. This is his kingdom he's talking about. The Sabbath is all about him. It's what it's pointing to. Resting. Living in his kingdom. It's a powerful picture. Go to Mark chapter 2 verse 27. It, it, it pains me greatly, and you, you can tell I'm a big believer in the Sabbath, can't you? Uh, it pains me greatly that everybody who claims Messiah as, as, as their master doesn't. And the reason why is because they don't get how powerful it is in their following of Him. What it says about their following of Him. That he is Lord, that he's master, and that they can find great delight in resting in him. Which is exactly the point why the writer of Hebrews makes, makes this connection between Messiah and the Sabbath as well. For there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. 
says, And he said to them, this is Yeshua speaking, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. This is the Mark adds... Mark adds the, these, the, that the Sabbath was not made for man, but the man for the Sabbath. Or, excuse me, the Sabbath was, not, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What's that mean? What does it sound like it means? Just plain English, what's it mean? God created the Sabbath for us. Yeah. It, not man for the Sabbath. What, what, what does that imply by saying that? He knew our needs. We needed it. We needed it. Most people don't think they need it. That's fine, you know. I'll get okay. We'll go to the pool. You know, that'll be refreshed at the pool. You know, or we'll go skiing. You know, we'll be. You know, we won't do the things we normally do. Sometime we'll take a vacation. That's where the idea of vacation comes from. We'll take a vacation. He's invited you. Anybody not want a vacation? He's invited you a vacation. He's invited you as to a party. <laughs> Every week, <laughs> and a lot of people are going. Ah, I don't need it. <laughs> I, I don't want the party. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like somebody saying, you know, uh, we're going to have a birthday party <laughs> in your honor, and you're going, ah, I hate those. <laughs> now think about all the good things that celebrate you, <laughs> and you say, no, I don't want it. And that's what it is. See, that's exactly right. It was made for us. He didn't need it, <laughs> right? He did not need it. He created it for us. Not the other way around. And it also implies that we are not to be, we are, it is not to be used as a yoke or a, uh, or a weight around our necks. And if people see it as a weight around their necks, they're not seeing it correctly. It's not. It's not punishment. You, you guys remember the old, the old movies where there's the, whether it be Amish or Puritans or whatever else, and they're harsh. You know, how dare you just such a thing on the day of the Lord? Right? It's a harsh punishment? It's a punishment? It's not a punishment. It's a gift. Why would we not want a gift? Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogues. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Listen, the reason they're asking this question is not because there's an obvious answer. Hello? Why does anybody think that this, I mean, it's like, okay, we're going to trap you. There isn't an obvious answer. They're asking a legitimate question. It's actually a very worthy question. It's not a trap. And, well, but they might accuse him. Well, they thought it was. Why? It was settled in their mind. And I'm going to tell you, there was a debate in first century Judaism. We have a record of a debate whether you could heal on the Shabbat. Here's the way that it goes. Well, if someone is ill, can they wait until Sunday morning or, Sunday, or Saturday night? You know, is it life-threatening? If they're ill, can it wait? The, deci- the decision had been made. That you could always heal on the Sabbath if they couldn't wait until sunset on Saturday. Life-threatening. Why? Even in the first century, it was recognized that mercy, life, is more important than anything. Okay? So that's not the debate. The debate was not, can you heal on the Sabbath? What they really meant to ask is, can you just heal willy-nilly? But they might accuse him. That's the debate. And it was his answer. And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? 
of how, of how much more value than is, is a man, than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He's even expanded it. He's no longer saying it's okay to heal only if your life is threatened. He's saying it's good to do any good on the Sabbath. Wow. That's... That's pretty. That's pretty amazing. He's just. He's really broadened. He's answered. Not only they definitely have something to accuse him of. Now, you really opened up a whole lot of possibilities with that one. Not just if someone could die, but anybody could be healed. You could heal willy nilly. (laughs) Just the thought of that is funny. (laughs) Just anybody could be healed. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Please show me that person. I have friends that need healing. He wasn't PC. (laughs) <laughs> anybody could be healed yes you can, it's, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath and, and the point they're making is they, he's saying look even an animal you'll take out of a ditch was, was that to take an animal out of a ditch the Talmud records absolutely yes just like caring for animals that is absolutely acceptable do you understand we're talking about a difference between tradition yes. or traditions not the Torah. Yeah. What does the Torah say about the Sabbath? What are the commandments? Don't kindle fire. And it's actually very specific. It talks about bara to create. Don't create a fire. That's why you can take a candle to a candle. I mean, it's kind of silly. People think, well, what's the big deal? Uh, it says don't create. Don't create a fire. What else does it say? It, it implies there should be no preparation. So there's an idea of cooking. The idea of, by, by the way, of not turning on lights. Some people don't turn on lights, whatever else. It's because they create a light. You know, It all comes from that idea of creating. Uh, some people won't write on Shabbat. Those are traditions. There's, 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 uh, there's actually a whole list of things that you're not allowed to do, and you can find just about anything and relate it in just about any way. I, don't misunderstand. I find that to be somewhat of a burden as opposed to a delight, but I find guidelines to be very helpful, but they're traditional guidelines. Uh, if, if we read the book of uh, Nehemiah, that, that, that they had, he had to close the gates of Damascus gates because there was a market outside. By the way, if you go to Jerusalem today, there's always a market outside the Damascus gate on Shabbat. Uh, it's, in the, it's in eastern Jerusalem, so the Arabs, they make a point of it. Well, Nehemiah closed the gates in Damascus gates so people wouldn't have a market there. So there's, we certainly know that in, in Nehemiah's time that, that buying and selling on Shabbat would have been considered, would have been considered wrong. Uh, it doesn't actually find that commandment. It says you shouldn't make your manservant and your maidservant work. They should rest as well. So that's where the buying comes from. So you understand, you could, your animals even should rest. So you shouldn't work your animals. You shouldn't plow fields. I mean, you could come up with a whole lot of laws just on those few. But that's it. That's really it. It's just the, you can't candle a fire, and you won't work, or whatever you define as work, and you won't make your, you'll rest on it, and you won't make your manservant. And your, where does it say you should go to church or congregation? Or, it doesn't say anything about it. It doesn't say it. You know, it's great we meet on Shabbat, but it's not a command. Talks about the sacrifices. Ah, yes, and in fact, they are they are they are multiplied, multiplied. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. And he makes that point. He makes that point that even the priests are busy doing work. No, no. Understand, it's not activity that is forbidden. That's commanded against. It's specific activity. What specific activity? And I think the best, the best general rule in my mind is what preserves me versus whether I'm going to trust God for it. Work is I'm doing my own thing to make sure I get paid, right? That's, but that's my tradition. 
You know, and what we're talking about is difference of traditions, not a different differences of the commandment, because the commandments are are fairly broad. They they really don't have a whole lot more than that. Uh, uh, I think, in my own mind, if people will truly delight in the rest that God's provided and truly see it as a gift from Him, that their traditions will reflect it. And so we really don't have to worry about it. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 16, Acts 17, 2. Sabbath customs are good insofar as they do not distract us from the purpose of the Sabbath. What is the purpose? It's a sign that He is the one who sets us apart. If you miss it because the traditions are either underwhelming or overwhelming, you, either way you miss it. What's the point? He sets us apart to make us distinct. We need to understand this always. That the main, the main uh, debate within Matthew between the, the religious figures and the, and the civil figures and Yeshua and his disciples is about tradition. That's the main debate. It is. Uh, and, and why it is, it is uh, so lost on people is they don't know the difference between tradition and what scripture says we, we should all include ourselves we all have traditions that are not biblical and we all, have, we have all do things that the Bible actually tells us we shouldn't because we have traditions that say we can uh, in Matthew chapter 12, 15 we're going to move real quickly Matthew 15, verse 20, 15 through 23 he tells someone he says, but when Yeshua knew it he withdrew from there and great multitudes talk about how uh, Uh, and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all and he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled which is spoken through Isaiah the prophet from chapter 6 behold my servant no excuse me this is not from chapter 6 behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved and whom my soul is well pleased I will put my spirit upon him and then ends up in verse 21 and his name Gentiles will trust that's yucky huh some people in that time Gentiles, you know, he's not going to include Gentiles, are you? Um, wow. What is, what is, he, he conceals himself, and, and by the way, he's not ready to tell his disciples either yet, is he? We saw in chapter 10, what did he do? He sent them out, and he said, don't go to Gentiles. Don't even go to Samaritans. Just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, what's coming? What's coming? He's concealing. He's Messiah. He's concealing that. He doesn't want anybody to broadcast it except his disciples. He, they know. Somehow, he's not telling them directly. But even this idea that somehow Gentiles will be included, he certainly is not saying anything other than quoting Scripture or alluding to Scripture. Matthew's reminding us of this. And what we understand is in this, this mystery, and it is a mystery. If anybody thinks they figured it out, like all Jews become Gentiles, or, or all Gentiles become Jews, I'm sorry, those ways of figuring it out are incorrect. It's a mystery. It's impossible. It's inexplicable that Jews and Gentiles can be one in one body. It is inexplicable. There's no man-made way to make it happen. I'm sorry, none. Zero. Man's never tried. I could convert to Judaism. I could convert to Christianity. We could be kind of both. I'm Jew-Christian. I'm a Christian Jew. (laughs) All of those are man-made answers to the problem. The impossibility of, of claiming a heritage and a and an inheritance when you have no genealogical reason for Gentiles and for Jews. Wait, I have a genealogical reason. It's not good enough. You need more. What? I need more? I'm Jewish. Come on. What do I need more for? Jacob is my father. 
Yes, but you need more. You must be born again. It's not a special conversion process. To be born again, it means you must be born of the, of the water and of the Spirit. You need to be grafted into the very branch that you were from. Why? Why do I need that? Well, if the native branches, this is what we're getting from uh, Romans chapter 11, if the native branches or if the non-native olive branches can grow really well in an olive tree, the native olive tree, think how much more the native branches can grow. So people who think that they, when they look around the world and they see Jews who don't, don't follow Messiah they see them as, as the antitheses as believers and what they need to understand is when they rec- when not if when they recognize him as Messiah they will be far more uh, connected than you can ever imagine don't allow your your own eyes to be blinded it's why we are what we are here today at Hope of Israel. It's exactly why we are. Because we believe it to be not only possible, but absolutely guaranteed. Because we're Jew and Gentile. We know it works. We know it works. We know that we are brothers and sisters of the same family. And we know that our father Abraham saw what we see. And knowing that Yeshua is Messiah, and in fact that when he establishes his kingdom here, all Jew and Gentile will see him and understand him in exactly the same way. Such a wonderful thing. And one, you know, one of we didn't we didn't do this. We've done it before. We went uh, we went back in your in your homework. We look at Second Corinthians chapter three, and the idea that within the scriptures, within the very thing that the most conservative, the most orthodox of Jews find embedded in it, coded within it, every Every word, every every letter, every space screams of Messiah. And they recognize that. They just don't see who he is yet, some. But we need to understand that the same way many Christian brothers and sisters read those same scriptures and find them to be stone, having no value other than nice stories about Joseph in a coat of many colors. And within those very words and letters and spaces are embedded the very Messiah that they say they love. It's the same. It's Two sides are looking at it and not seeing it. We need to be different. We need to point it out. It's about Him. It's always about Messiah. And that's what He says in Matthew chapter 12. And he says, the Sabbath is about me. It's a gift to you. It's about me. How much more, how much more when you see it, will you celebrate it? Uh, It is said that when all Israel keeps one Sabbath, Messiah will come. The kingdom will come. You know, I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. But, you know, I think that's true. But I think it's true. It is in the Talmud. I think it's true. I do. Because when all Israel keeps it, it will do what? What is the promise? That you'll remember that I am the one who sanctifies you, sets you apart. We need to encourage one another and we need to encourage even unbelievers that Shabbat is, Shabbat is a gift. Let me read this real quick and we're going to close with this prayer. You are the one. Your name is one. Who is like your people Israel, one nation on earth? The splendor of greatness and the crown of salvation, the day of contentment and holiness, have you given to your people? Abraham would rejoice, Isaac would exalt, Jacob and his children would rest on it, a rest of love and magnanimity, a rest of truth and faith, a rest of peace and serenity and tranquility and security, a perfect rest in which you find favor.
May your children recognize and know that from you comes their rest. And through their rest they will sanctify your name. Our God and God of our forefathers, may you be pleased with our rest. Sanctify us with your commandments. Grant us our share in your Torah. Satisfy us from your goodness and gladness with your salvation. And purify our hearts to serve you sincerely. O Lord our God, with love and favor, grant us your holy Sabbath as a heritage. And may Israel, the sanctifiers of your name, rest on them. Blessed are you, Lord, who sanctifies the Sabbath. Amen. I will not be here next week. Uh, Your homework for chapter... Uh, chapter 13 we will do the week after have a good week